Let's kick off Monday with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And welcome to it. I'm Dirk Christensen. I'll tell you what, Susan, uh, I know that you're not having a particularly fine day, but everybody else is with this weather. 40s and 50s, where did this come from? You know, next thing you know, we'll be talking uh, spring flowers coming up. I actually got a seed catalog in the mail today. <laughs> well, that's great. And uh, we, we didn't have necessarily, we're not going to spill the beans here, but we are going to say that uh, you, you really need uh, probably some professional help with your thumb, don't you? Yeah, that's the way it's Today wasn't a good day. I get to go back though and see my favorite radiologist this afternoon. So right. well, we're, it uh, is what it is. We're following along with great interest because uh, you know when you only type with uh, your right hand, uh, you go half as fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's uh, get off of that for just a second here, and let's talk about uh, Shaylee, who is having trouble just elbowing her way into the door for a speech today. It is absolutely crazy. The American Farm Bureau Federation's annual convention is taking place in Nashville. Tennessee. Uh, the president said to speak this afternoon at 3 o'clock. What's interesting is the White House said that he's going to some farm event, which has got those in agriculture in an absolute uproar that they feel like he doesn't really understand the magnitude of what agriculture is in the nation. But 800 plus media registered today just to hear the president speak. And we've all been hoping that they get preferential treatment, the farm broadcasters to be able to get in, but she's been standing in line for a long time, and she made the comment uh, to us on Snapchat that she was getting hungry. <laughs> so, yeah. but um, it should be a great event. President will be talking. She's going to have more, uh, both at twelve forty-five and at one seventeen. Stuff happening at the Farm Bureau Convention. We'll be listening for that, and then Clay at twelve nineteen is going to be talking about a really cool event that's called um, Recovering Your Acres, put on by K-State University, but he's going to talk more about what that's all going to entail and how producers can get registered. All right. We'll look forward to all of that. That's the first time I've ever heard the American Farm Bureau Federation uh, referred to as some ag event. Some ag event. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much, Susan. We'll let you go. We know you're on the road there. Jason Jorgensen's in with sports. National Championship game tonight. It'll be an SEC Love Fest yeah. on ESPN, Alabama and uh, Georgia. We'll see how that one breaks down. Well, it's going to be SCC when, when it's all over. It will. Second time in seven years that has taken place. Right. Also, we'll tell you more about a former Husker who picked up a big honor being named to the College Football Hall of Fame today. That would be former offensive lineman Aaron Taylor, who was part of those great offensive lines of the Huskers in the 90s. And also, uh, we'll recap the Nebraska women's basketball team's win yesterday at Northwestern. Lady Huskers are playing pretty well. They are 11-5 and on the season. And coming up, we'll hear from Coach Amy Williams. Okay, very good. Thanks, Jason. And Bob Brogan has some sports headlines. Or, I'm sorry, business headlines. Sports and business. <laughs> yeah. Central Florida has already declared itself national champion, so <laughs> that part of it's over. Stocks lower on Wall Street as a New Year's rally loses stream. Also, uh, cuts at GoPro, which is a camera maker. And Arconic freezes pensions for U.S. workers. And uh, last but not least, Pink is going to head to the Super Bowl to sing the national anthem. Really? All yes. right. Well, we'll look forward to that. All coming up for you today on Midday.
Well, we were just talking about fair weather friends here, and that's what we are at the moment, giving you all of this really good news about what the weather's doing for Monday and Tuesday, because to be quite honest with you, we don't want to talk about Wednesday. No, exactly. We got a big storm on the way for Wednesday. I, like I've been telling people around here, just live in the present for today. <laughs> <laughs> good idea. Your 880 Ag Weather is being brought to you by Coolman Repair. Right now, most of our temperatures in the upper 30s to low 40s, getting rid of a lot of snow across the area and where they hardly have any snow temperatures into the low 50s over northwest kansas and northeast colorado including as warm as 54 right now at ray colorado and 52 at colby those warmer than normal temperatures with some sunshine expected for today and tomorrow thanks to a ridge of high pressure moving overhead our temperatures will stay mild for wednesday as that ridge breaks down that's ahead of an approaching storm system. Winter is back for Wednesday night. We'll see cold air surge south in behind a strong cold front and some strong low pressure lifting out of that Four Corners area. That's where we, of course, usually get those storm systems. That area of low pressure will cross the central plains. It'll tap into some Gulf moisture since it's coming out of the southwest, and that will give us those good chances for some snow. Wednesday afternoon, that precipitation likely to start out as some rain. Then that cold front will be marked by much colder air, and we are looking at some intense north winds with this system, gusting up to about 50 miles per hour. That will make for some difficult travel and some visibility problems as we head towards Thursday morning. The brunt of the precipitation is expected from mid-evening Wednesday through overnight Wednesday as that low moves through. Any rain will rapidly change to snow. Most of the snow accumulations in Nebraska should range about 2 to 4 inches, with 1 to 3 inches very common over northern Kansas. Now, there are some smaller chances that some locations could see upwards of 5 to 10 inches. You can see our snow forecast map from the National Weather Service on our Facebook page. The snow and strong wind will make difficult travel Wednesday night into Thursday morning because those winds once again gusting up to 50 with the snow could cause major visibility problems. Make sure you do stay up to date on the track of this system and the forecast for snow amounts. We will know more details as they become clearer with this system getting closer over the next day or so. There is another chance for some light snow for Friday with another cold front. High pressure behind that front going to lead to a colder and dry weekend. But in the long-term forecast, our temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas starting out right around seasonal to below normal this weekend. Then we'll trend mostly warmer than normal next week through January 21st. Nebraska and Kansas precipitation expected to be near normal this weekend through the 21st. The weather factors driving market decisions include hot and dry weather in Argentina and continued favorable conditions in Brazil. Here in the U.S., heavy precipitation will continue to spread inland across California. Now, during the mid to late week, that precipitation will move into the central and eastern U.S. Snow will blanket the northern and central plains and upper Midwest. Ahead of the moisture, the northern, excuse me, the northern plains will be warm before it's colder later in the week. Transportation impacts are possible from the snow. The pattern in the southern plains more favorable for winter wheat the next 7 to 10 days with no significant cold outbreaks on the way. In Argentina, extreme heat and below normal rain will continue to affect their crops in La Pampa and southern Buenos Aires. It's a more variable pattern, though, in Cordoba, Santa Fe, and northern Buenos Aires. Only scattered thunderstorms will break up the heat and dryness, a pattern not ideal right now for corn and soybeans at this point of the growing season. Central Brazil's weather remains favorable for developing soybeans as their rainy season continues. The weather in southern Brazil remains favorable. More rain, though, would be welcome in Rio Grande do Sul. There was near-record all-time heat 
It's southeast Australia this weekend. Impact of sorghum possible with that, along with stress to cattle. All right, of your regional ag weather with Paul Perkins, brought to you by Coolman Repair. So Wednesday, we'll probably what, get highs in the 40s, but then watch it all fall away, right? Yeah, and there is the potential of that cold front arriving just a little earlier. So if that happens, we may see that change over to snow a little bit quicker and maybe some dropping temperatures in the afternoon. But right now, expecting you have those nice temperatures Maybe some rain during the day, and then that rain changing over to snow Wednesday night. All right. We will call your attention again to our snow forecast map. That'll be on the Facebook page, KRVN. You can follow us at Facebook and get all kinds of weather information and news and everything else, whenever you need it. And when you need weather anytime, KRVN.com. Day on the Rural Radio Network with 25 to 1 returns being seen from the pork checkoff. Plus, we talk with Shaley Peters on a new pork strategy where they may be taking a play from beef. Plus, a success story from one of the world's largest pork producers. I'm Clay Patton. Harry Kaiser, economics professor at Cornell University, conducted the five-year economic analysis of the pork checkoff program in late 2017. The results of the analysis are positive for pork producers. The study documented a growing return on investment through defined benefit-cost ratios across several key program areas from 2011 to 2016. Areas included production research, foreign market development, advertising and non-advertising promotion, research to grow demand, and production research. The area yielding the highest return was the production research where each dollar invested benefited on the farm practices by $83.30 in producer value. Research on market drivers returned the smallest but still very respectable yield of $8.30 for each dollar invested. Terry O'Neill, National Pork Board President and pig farmer from Friend, Nebraska, commented on the study saying it's important to producers to understand and quantify the value of their investments. The results indicate a positive impact of all aspects of the pork checkoff from conducting production-focused research to growing consumer and export demand for pork. The good news of the economic analysis also shows why the latest pork producer survey shows 91% of pork producers acknowledging their overwhelming support of the pork checkoff. The survey also showed a record low opposition of just 3% to the pork checkoff. We continue on the pork trend now with Rural Radio Network's Shaley Peters, who's in Nashville, Tennessee, covering the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual meeting. Shaley brings us news of why pork may be taking a strategy from the beef industry. And down here in Nashville for the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual meeting, where Jim Robb, director of the Livestock Marketing Information Center, gave a livestock update for producers. He talked about how the pork industry is looking at implementing a grading system similar to cattle. Well, historically, we've had a quality grade system in the beef industry. Uh, the pork industry has had quality grades, but they've not been uh, very market differentiating. And so the pork industry has proposed adding very similar uh, quality grades to pork. It'll be heavily based on the color of especially, the, and the key product is the loin. The loin's been a struggle in the marketplace. It's tended to not be as tender, and there probably needs to be some economic incentives to improve it. Now, the packers are pushing back pretty hard against these new standards, but, uh, you know, the quality is one of the key drivers that really uh, uh, entices consumer to buy these products. And so quality is really one of the keys in the meat industry, and we'll see how this new proposal, uh, as it's uh, vetted through the industry, 
how much support there will be. Find more audio and video at ruralradio.com from Nashville. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. We end with a positive pork story as Smithfield Foods has taken the once struggling premium standard farms hog operation in Missouri into a vibrant Smithfield Food hog making asset. Smithfield Food bought PSF in 2006 when the 221,000 sow complex was facing aging equipment, structures, and a flurry of nuisance lawsuits. Then in 2011, before completely pulling the plug, Smithfield brought in a new manager of the facility, Michael Rainwater. Rainwater in the last six years has reworked and retooled many of the facilities in what is now Smithfield Hog Production North. By doing so, nuisance lawsuits have been settled. Biosecurity of the barn operation is producing more pigs with fewer sows. Rainwater says the growth path we have been on for five years has been possible by understanding our role within Smithfield. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mark your calendars January 16th and 17th for the 15th annual Cover Your Acres conference happening at the Gateway in Oberlin. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. To learn more about this Cover Your Acres conference, we'll go to Lucas Haig, agronomist with K-State Extension, based in Colby. Well, Clay, it's, you know, we're, we're pretty proud. This is our 15th annual Cover Your Acres conference. And, of course, you know, not news to anyone who's listening, economics is, is the big topic on everyone's mind. So traditionally, you know, we're an agronomic-focused conference. Uh, but certainly we're trying to put all that into an economic context. And i uh, got several, uh, several powerful speakers with us this year on, uh, on the economic issues. And we'll get to the speakers in a moment. First, so let's kind of look. 15th Annual, what's changed from the first Cover Your Acres conference to this year? Yes, if you think about 15 years ago, I mean, really, uh, no-till was, uh, I guess you could say, early adoption phases for a lot of guys in, in, uh, in this part of the world. And there was a lot of talk about equipment at that time, you know, different planters, different drills, what's going to work well under no-till conditions. And, you know, by and large, we've, we've moved past a lot of those discussions. We're now moving into, uh, you know, some longer-term things. Okay, I've now been in, in no-till 15, 20 years. How's that changed how I need to manage my soil fertility? Um, you know, how do we... Uh, uh, how does that change our, our production practices for the different crops we're growing? So, and, and while we're, you know, we certainly have a heavy, heavy emphasis on no-till and, and conservation type production systems, I guess we're not, uh, uh, we try and cover a, a, a wide range of topics as well. And again, it will be a wide range of topics January 16th and 17th. Now let's kind of touch on some of these speakers. Crop insurance is something many of us think about, and especially with this upcoming farm bill. So coming in to talk some crop insurance is going to be Dr. Art Barnaby with K-State Ag Economics. Kind of talk to us more about his session. Yeah, so it's going to, of course, you know, the farm bill uh, discussion is going to be, uh, he's going to touch on that in terms of what the outlook is for, for the upcoming uh, debate. Um, but then also, you know, he's going to spend some time just, we've had a lot of changes in crop insurance over the last few years. Now with yield exclusion, trend adjustment, um, you know, we've had some good years. Guys' APHs have come up, uh, enterprise units, all these options now. And, and so really he's going to step through, you know, how do you look, and especially bringing the economics piece into this, how do you make sure you're picking the right risk management options for today's environment and, and to navigate your way through all the options that exist in the crop insurance program? And, of course, risk management is huge, and you need to know the economics of your industry to best manage your risk. And talking on the economic side of it, it's going to be Mark Woods with K-State. Talk to us about what he's going to be focusing on this, this year. 
Yeah, so Mark and his crew at uh, Kansas Farm Management, I mean, they actually work uh, one-on-one with, with producers, combing through their books and, and doing enterprise analysis. And so he's going to bring us a summary in terms of what they're seeing right now, what's making the biggest differences in profitability uh, amongst the producers uh, in, in our part of the world and, and by enterprise. So he'll go through the irrigated, dry land, cow-calf, all pieces of it. Uh, but again, look at those folks that are in the top 25% of profitability and those folks in the bottom 25% of profitability, what drives those differences? And uh, I think it, it, it leads everyone who's sitting in the seat, it leads you to ask better questions and think about your own farming operation and where you fit into uh, fit into that. That's Lucas Haig joining us today. He's agronomist with K-State Extension, and we're talking about the 15th annual Cover Your Acres. It's coming up here in January at the Gateway in Oberlin. So again, go online, check it out. They're going to be covering everything from crop insurance to weed management, uh, soil fertility, and more, as well as taking a look at some of the upcoming crops and even some new options like field peas so that's all coming up again cover your acres january 16th and 17th at the gateway in oberlin you're listening to the rural radio network you're listening to midday on the rural radio network and it's time to check sports with jason jorgensen Hey, thanks, Dirk. We'll look forward to being an SEC love fest tonight on ESPN as second-ranked Georgia squares off against fourth-ranked Alabama for the national title. Crimson Tide head coach Nick Saban breaks down this match. When you're playing against a really good team and probably two teams that are fairly evenly matched and two teams that, that philosophically are not a whole lot dissimilar in terms of the things they want to do to win, run the ball, don't turn the ball over, I'll play good field position, be good on special teams, uh, so it's going to be the errors and execution right, that have a, a, a critical effect on the outcome of the game. It's the second time in seven years that two teams from the SEC will battle it out for the title. Kickoff tonight is set for shortly after 7 o'clock Central Time in Atlanta. Nebraska grade and 1997 Outland Trophy winner Aaron Taylor is one of 13 individuals to make up this year's College Football Hall of Fame class. The 13 inductees were announced today by the National Football Foundation. Taylor is among the group of players selected from the national ballot that included 75 All-Americans. He becomes the 18th Nebraska player to earn induction into the College Football Hall of Fame. Also, coaches Frank Beamer and Mac Brown have been selected for this event. Brown, of course, won 244 games in a 30-year head coaching career at four schools and included 16 seasons and the national title at Texas. Beamer built Virginia Tech into a national power, taking over the program in 1987 and leading the Hokies to a BCS championship game in 1999. His 280 victories ranked sixth in FBS history. And Hannah Whitish and Taylor Kissinger each knocked down four threes to help the Nebraska women to a 69-59 win over Southwestern yesterday. Whitish led the Huskers with a game-high 16 points. She also had seven assists. Kissinger added 14 points as she hit four threes. And Coach Amy Williams feels she's starting to find her groove again after missing some time last month with a knee injury. I think she's just starting to look more and more confident and more and more like um, uh, the player that she was before that injury and kind of picking up where she left off. And, and you know, big thing there, we're just still working on, you know, uh, wanting her to be consistent on both ends of the floor. And offensively, she's confident. She's really got her stroke back. And now um, just wanting to make sure that um, we can have her consistent on the defensive end as well. Williams made her comments on her postgame show on the Huskers Sports Network. The victory improved the Huskers to 11-5 overall. They are 2-1 in the Big Ten. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Partly cloudy skies tonight in Nebraska, lows in the mid to upper 20s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska state agencies would have to report the amount of federal money that they receive each year, as well as plans to deal with the loss of funding under a bill advanced by lawmakers. Senators gave first-round approval to a measure today with a 28-11 vote. The bill's sponsor, Senator John Stinner of Gehring, says it would promote transparency with the use of federal money, which accounts for roughly 30% of the state's total budget. Stinner serves as chair of the Budget Writing Appropriations Committee. Supporters say the bill could help the state prepare for a sharp downturn in federal funding. Some senators question the need for it, saying much of the information is already available in state budget documents. Two more votes are required before it passes in the legislature. Kansas legislative leaders say they expect to offer sexual harassment training to all lawmakers within a few weeks. Senate President Susan Wagle, House Speaker Ron Reichman Jr., and House Minority Leader Jim Ward of Wichita all said they're working on scheduling sessions that together would be for all 40 senators and 125 House members. The Missouri-based Women's Foundation proposed annual training for Kansas legislators last month. Services were held over the weekend for former COSAD Mayor Kathy Walters. She passed away on January 3rd at the age of 82. Walters served as council member for four years before running for mayor, a position she held from 1990 through 2000. City clerk Susan Clipping says Walters will be missed by the employees of the city office and other departments. Kathy was a very caring person, and she cared for her town also, but she cared for the people that were in our community. Walters taught at a country school, was a bookkeeper for several businesses, and a paraeducator at Cozad Public Schools after her retirement. A group of collectors of coins and currency, also known as numismatists, are organizing the first meeting of the Kearney Coin Club to be held tomorrow evening at the Kearney Public Library, beginning at 7 p.m. Kearney coin collector Robert Kincaid says the meeting is open to anyone with an interest in coin collecting. We're open to all types of input, but basically I'll give them maybe a 20-minute presentation on the Lesher dollar and the Fort Kearney token. And after that, we'll throw it open questions and answers with the two coin dealers present there and uh, there's various topics subtopics such as grading authenticity what to buy and how to disperse a rare coin collection all types of topics and subtopics the lesser dollar is a coin minted in colorado and was also circulated in the holdridge area around the turn of the century Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Joining you now from Nashville, Tennessee, I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And I've got Jim Robb here with me. He's the Livestock Marketing Information Center Director. And he's going to talk about, Jim, you gave a Livestock Outlook update to producers down here. So why don't we just start off by talking about 2017 and give kind of a big picture as we head into 2018. Well, 2017 probably overall turned out a better than anticipated. We had very strong export markets, especially on the beef side, and we had a lot of demand for meat that came from featuring a beef, et cetera, in the marketplace. So we uh, held up the market very well. We actually had the market this past year pull animals through the marketing chain, which is rather unique. 
we weren't trying to push product through the system. It was being pulled through our markets, especially through the feedlots. And uh, so we ended up with the cattle prices above a year ago in the fourth quarter of 2017, especially on the calf and yearling side, that was better than anticipated. We have larger supplies, larger supplies of beef, pork, chicken. And so the total complex, we did a great job of marketing meat in 2017. Some of that will spill over into 2018, at least in our preliminary forecast. Well, on the cow-calf side, it looks like 2018, probably a little bit lower calf market than in 2017. You have to remember that the 2018 and 2017 calf crops were quite a bit bigger than a couple of years ago. So we're working against these larger supplies. Exports probably stayed pretty good. And so that'll be kind of underpin the market for slightly lower calf and yearling prices in 2018, but still above the 2016 levels, which were very difficult. So, you know, we're kind of marking time. We'd look 2019, probably a little bit better on the calf and yearling side. So in terms of those cow-calf operations, not too early to begin some planning for the next couple of years for a bit of a cyclical turn on cattle prices. And Jim, what about the hog sector? Hog industry, we have some brand new packing plants in this country, really did support hog prices in the fourth quarter of 2017. And we think 2018 is very much the same, maybe with a little bit better export profile, which will be good for the industry. So we're able to process that meat. Poultry side is continuing to ramp up and uh, we're, we've struggled on the poultry export front. So that's gonna be a challenge in 2018. You mentioned that quality, and one thing I wanted to bring up, you talked about in your outlook about how the hog industry or the pork industry is looking at maybe going to a grading system similar to cattle. Well, historically, we've had a quality grade system in the beef industry where we have prime and choice and select and these very uh, meat-oriented and consumer-friendly quality grades. Uh, the pork industry has had quality grades, but they've not been uh, very market-differentiating. And so the pork industry has proposed adding very similar uh, quality grades to pork. It'll be heavily based on the color of especially the, and the key product is the loin. The loin's been a struggle in the marketplace. It's tended to not be as tender, and there probably needs to be some economic incentives to improve it. Now, the packers are pushing back pretty hard against these new standards, but, uh, you know, the quality is one of the key drivers that really... Uh, uh, entices consumer to buy these products and so quality is really one of the keys in the meat industry and we'll see how this new proposal uh, as it's vetted through the industry how much support there will be. Is there a timeline for that Jim? Well the USDA has put out a call for comments onto this proposal and uh, I think most producers are probably for this um, and we'll see how it shakes out so I think it's just starting uh, I think the awareness of quality issues and being able to compete for that higher consumer. It's really the niche of the U.S. industries and the pork industry is starting to recognize that. You also talked about quality and how important that is. It really has been beneficial. I'm an economist and I worry a lot about cost of production, etc. But we don't want to forget about quality. The beef quality has improved significantly in the last decade or two. And the consumer aspects of that product, the tenderness and the taste, has really been key to the, the restaurants and the grocery stores featuring that product. So it has definitely fed in positively in a demand sense for our products. And we need to not forget about quality or give up quality if we're going to be competitive in the high-end marketplace for the consumer that has enough income to afford our rather expensive red meat products. And going to the other sectors also, anything newsworthy there as far as dairy, 
uh, poultry. Well, especially on the dairy side. We have a bigger dairy cow herd than we've had in several years. It slipped a little bit in recent months. Uh, milk production per cow continues to go higher, so we're producing more. And the export markets, especially for powder, that we do rely on in the exports have been very much a struggle. And so we're increasing milk production and struggling on the export side. Domestic consumption, we see growing consumption of still in the organic complex and whole milk and butter are really the positive factors underpinning the industry. Um, but we're going to have to mark time a little bit. We don't think milk prices will fall dramatically in 2018. They're probably not going to gain dramatically either. So we're kind of still in that uh, uh, break-even environment in the dairy industry. But, uh, you know, the financial stress is, is not uh, as difficult as it was a few years ago. Thanks so much. It's Jim Robb. He is the director of the Livestock Marketing Information Center talking to us today about the livestock outlook he gave down here at the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual meeting going on in Nashville. From Nashville, I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network. And with us to give us an inclination of what might be happening as far as these cattle and hog futures, Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, uh, inclination would be uh, liquidation, fun liquidation coming into the cattle market uh, in in pretty good numbers. And uh, let's put the pressure on uh, on uh, the futures market with, a, you know, triple-digit losses uh, in the first three months. So, uh Definitely uh, started out lower. We stayed lower. Cutouts were uh, basically, let's call them unchanged. Uh, light test. And there was just nothing there to uh, help. Any cattle that traded late uh, last week was uh, lower. Nothing, uh, no bids out today. So uh, it was kind of free reign to uh, see uh, some pretty uh, massive uh, liquidation take place. Uh, looks like... Uh, mainly due to uh, fund liquidation. The feeders were off uh, not as much, but they are really discounted to the uh, latest index, so uh, they uh, pretty much held their own. They, they were lower, but uh, uh, nothing uh, really significant like the uh, cattle. Over in the hogs, uh, boy, cash is just leading the way. That's the only way you can put it. Uh, cash firm again today. Uh, it looked like well, well over a dollar higher again, and the uh, futures responded to that. The uh, index has been climbing, uh, uh, making uh, pretty good strides upward, and uh, we're keeping pace with the uh, future. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. From Nashville and Taylor Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And I've got Nebraska Farm Bureau President here with me, Steve Nelson. And Steve, we're going to jump right in and talk about some of the things you guys are doing down here while in Nashville, some of the policy that's going to be covered. Um, what exactly is happening here at the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual meeting from the Nebraska standpoint? Sure. Well, always a lot of things that we do from a business perspective, and we'll do policy work on Tuesday. It's a very important part of the time that we're here where we look at resolutions that have come in from state farm bureaus all across the country and, and have discussions about those and, and make the policy that will be American Farm Bureau policy for the upcoming year. Of course, you touched on that policy, which you guys decided at the end of the year. You looked at that, your annual meeting 
meeting in December. And so now what has been brought to Nashville, Steve? What are you guys looking at down here? Well, we have a number of issues that, that have come from Nebraska and made it through the resolution session. We're very proud of that. Some uh, some of those uh, connect to conservation. Some of those are related to conservation issues, and so we'll be working on those. One of particular interest has to do with fabricated products that are called meat but are not meat. A lot of scientific activity taking place today, uh, creating products that, that, that are not meat but are considered to be substitutes for meat. And so we are, uh, we're very concerned about that, making sure that those products are labeled correctly and that there's not a confusion uh, in the consumer's mind about what truly is meat and what is something else. And expanding that a little bit, what is AFBF looking at policy-wise on a national standpoint? Well, there will be issues related to the Farm Bill, of course, and crop insurance. Uh, those are very important pieces for Nebraska farmers and ranchers as well. And so that, those are always a big part of the discussion that we have here at the annual meeting. And outside of the policy, what are some of the other things going on down here? What are some of the things that the Nebraska Farm Bureau is involved with while in Nashville? Sure. Well, a particular interest, I'm sure, to a lot of people is the fact that President Trump will be at the convention this year and is speaking. And so it's uh, created a lot of changes to our normal schedule or program and a lot of adjustments, but certainly a great opportunity to have the president here and uh, raised a lot of, uh, of uh, raised to a higher level uh, the discussion related to agriculture and the agricultural economy, rural living, uh, broadband, uh, infrastructure, those kinds of things as well. And so we're certainly looking forward to hearing from the president and hearing his comments as it relates to agriculture. And then shifting away a little bit here from the annual meeting, of course, back in Nebraska, we've got our legislature short session in full swing. What are some of the things the Nebraska Farm Bureau is doing during this session? Sure. Well, it'll come as no surprise to folks that are listening or watching that uh, property taxes are the number one issue that we're working on. And, and this, this, of course, is at a time when the state budget is very tight. And so uh, we're looking for ways to work through that. Uh, I think it's very much possible to have property tax reform in these kinds of times. And so we're working on a number of different options to move forward with significant and meaningful property tax reform. And I feel relatively confident that we can make some progress this year. Certainly, we will put every possible effort into that, and we'll be working with the governor, the legislature, and lots of uh, other ways, all kinds of ways that we can approach the situation. All right. Thanks so much, Steve. It's Nebraska Farm Bureau President Steve Nelson from the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual meeting and convention going on down here in Nashville. For more, you can visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We're going to talk today with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, to start off another full trading week, we ended up the day lower. Even settlements came in a little bit earlier than usual. Does that signal a low-volume day? 
Yeah, I, you know, I think looking here, it doesn't look like we've had a ton of contracts change hands. The uh, the front month themselves, I mean, we're we're talking about doldrums right now. Uh, levels, you know, back in the the days when we were trading six, seven dollar coin, we would trade a million contracts a day, and now we're trading really struggling to get over three hundred thousand. So it's just a very, very sideways trade, and I think we're, we set ourselves up now to kind of set a new range here. March trading down three forty seven. That's the the low of the contract coming in at. Oh, 347. So 347 and a half. We're just off that low. I'd like to think that there's, uh, you know, some some upside here, but uh, it probably comes after the report. Uh, we just got news of uh, kind of a weather model change in uh, Argentina. They may be looking at some showers here in the next week and a half, uh, which is not really what bulls up in this part of the country want to see. Um, we're going to be facing CONAB on Thursday. That'll discuss the, the South American crops. No Wazdi on Friday. All three of them could be bearish. So prepared here for some negativity this week. I guess on a positive note, soybeans did not close on the lows of the day. They came back a little bit. Yeah, beans are, um, you know, they're resilient right now. And the meal especially. I was thinking that maybe that meal was going to fall apart this morning. But uh, 315 for meals have been holding. 3960 for, for soybeans on the March contract. Uh, and I think, again, just just like I said for corn, just kind of got to get through this report. And uh, I think more so for soybeans, the CONAB one on Thursday, uh, brace for for an increase in, in South American production from when it comes to Brazil. They're, uh, they're really having a good year. I, I think it's just the lack of news down there is telling us that we're probably expecting a, uh, another you know bumper crop. At the same time, have we maybe pushed ourselves a little too low and turnaround Tuesday could occur? I'd like to think so. I think with the report on Friday, we're going to see any sales, any any risk, uh, you know, protection on rallies as we can. Uh, three seventy five on the on the December eighteen contract. We're three eighty one right now. That kind of seems to me like a level we're going to run to. That'll put July below three sixty, which, in my opinion, is a fantastic spot to reown. I I'm trying to get guys set up here so that they can they can handle the summer swings. And if you're buying July here sub three sixty, I you know could we go to three fifty? Sure, but I think you're more likely here at least sit in a sideways market and and let that work for you as we get into the U.S. growing season. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. For more, go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.